0: Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region.
1: Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. In the Middle East, as presumably almost anywhere else, nothing succeeds like success. Also, values are a very limited value. Syrian President Bashar al-Assad managed to survive a very difficult several years of civil war, in which he practically converted a lot of his nominal sovereignty to a free hand for his sponsors from Russia, Iran and the Lebanese Hezbollah. Regardless of the price he has paid, Assad is still standing and has now been grudgingly accepted back into the fold of Arab rulers from Egypt to Saudi Arabia and Jordan to the Gulf. How is the regional system going to be realigned based on this new reality, and will Washington, which is trying to balance conflicting interests and policies in and around Syria, accept this new reality, though it deviates from its declared wishes? To analyze it, we are joined all the way from Washington, D.C., by retired Brigadier General Mark Kimmett, who is a former Assistant Secretary of State for Political-Military Affairs. Thank you for joining us, General. Also joining us from London, the U.K., is retired Colonel Dr. Joel Rayburn, who is a former U.S. Deputy Assistant Secretary and Special Envoy for Syria. Thank you for joining us as well, sir. My pleasure. And with me in the studio, as always, is our TV7 Editor-at-Large and host of Watchmen Talk, Powers in Play, and so many other productions, Mr. Amir Oren. Amil, give us a broader understanding or maybe a framework for the discussion points we're going to touch on today.
2: So none of the Arab rulers uh, in the Middle East um, and obviously uh, nor the Iranians um, are candidates for any uh, human rights award. Um, So uh, for them, the problem with uh, Bashar Assad has not been uh, the uh, evil treatment of his uh, uh, own population when uh, uh, some segments Uh, took arms against him uh, when the Arab Spring started a dozen years ago. But um, Assad looked weak and was probably uh, uh, about to fall until um, 2015 when both ISIS was uh, uh, riding high and the uh, Russians intervened in Syria to help uh, their protégé or client. Assad. So, having survived these dozen years, the Arab rulers um, have uh, looked at it uh, realistically um, by way of realpolitik and decided to go uh, with the winner. This is pri- part of uh, the realignment of the entire area when um, the US is perceived as um, being um, or turning away. From the region, the so called pivot to the east. Now, of course, you will hear from Washington that it is not necessarily so. There are remnants of presence and so on and so forth. And um, there's an overwatch uh, should ISIS um, um, be resurgent. But nevertheless, um, everyone here knows that the uh, trend is with the Chinese perhaps also with the Russians, and away from the United States. So the Arab uh, leaders, even though m- many of them, uh, such as uh, the Egyptian Abdel Fattah Assisi, or the Jordanian King Abdullah II, they are firmly in the American or Western orbit. But nevertheless, they have reconsidered and are now working with Assad, and Israel should uh, reconsider the situation Two, because Assad um, had a sort of practical immunity from Israel uh, because he was seen as the lesser evil. But if he turns against Israel now that he feels overconfident, Uh, the Israeli view may also change.
1: Not necessarily the lesser evil, but the known evil, which is something that can be dealt with. Uh, General Kimmett, we'll uh, start with you. How how do you regard currently the state of play vis-a-vis Syria?
3: Well, I think Emil uh, gave a pretty good laydown, may have neglected to talk about the role where Turkey plays in all this as well. Uh, Turkey obviously is holding a significant and the largest number of Syrian refugees, uh, Erdogan has just been reelected. One of his campaign promises, in fact, both the candidates' campaign promises, was to start moving those Syrian refugees back in. Uh, and if Assad agrees with that, uh, and they can come to some sort of condominium in that regard, uh, you, you recognize at that point that practical real politic is starting to overwhelm uh, Assad's records over the uh, record over the last uh, fifteen years of slaughter uh, I think at this point the only country that is not embracing this notion of real politic may well be the United states
1: right uh, the United States uh, State Department has been quite vocal about uh, condemning yep. uh, any normalization with the Assad regime. And I'd like to ask you, Dr. Rayburn, uh, as uh, somebody who's uh, closely also dealt with uh, Syria, as has of course General Kimet, but uh, dealing with uh, the uh, Syrian file for quite some time, h- how do you look at the current development uh, where the United States is the only one, basically, uh, who has still sway over this region that is unwilling to see Uh, the Assad regime normalize its relations with any uh, country in the region?
0: Well, actually, I don't think that's accurate. Uh, The entire European bloc remains, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's politically isolated from uh, from the Assad regime or the Assad regime is politically isolated from it. So the United States is not alone here. Uh, I I would say, I would take issue, uh, here's where I would disagree with Emil. what, what we're in is a, a, a period of unreal politique in, uh, in, in the Arab capitals, because normalization uh, simply cannot work. We know it can't work because it's been tried before repeatedly, not just with Bashar al-Assad, but with his father's regime as well. The nature of that regime doesn't change. This normalization outreach from the Arab capitals uh, to Damascus is a movie that we have sat through before, and we know where the ending is. The ending is that Assad doesn't fulfill any of his commitments, he just continues to facilitate the IRGC and Hezbollah, creating um, a bigger and bigger uh, military threat against Israel, against Jordan, and so on, on, uh, on Israel's northern border. And, and the whole thing will collapse of its own weight at a certain point. And that'll particularly be true um, if the United States doesn't revoke its, uh, its Caesar sanctions, because th- that prevents any Gulf country from having illicit economic relations with Damascus. And that's all that Assad wants out of that relationship, really, with some political legitimacy, I think he believes he gets. But he's already pocketed that. So uh, the only thing that's left for him is, is the money. And the money uh, from the Gulf can only come to him now under the table. And that's not enough to stabilize him. But, I mean, the last thing is, and uh, General Kim, it's absolutely right. Turkey is a big factor in all of this. And, and to be honest with you, the uh, Turkey's interests in Syria are incompatible with those of the Assad regimes. Those refugees are not going back, while the Assad regime uh, uh, can uh, can touch them, and and uh, we're we're just sort of in a in a stalemate along those lines. So I, I don't think there's going to be a an Ankara Damascus normalization anytime soon.
2: Now, uh, Joel uh, just mentioned the term stability, and when you uh, listen to uh, the um, uh, various declarations of uh, the Biden administration's uh, spokespeople. Um, they are involved in contradictions because they want stability in the region, but they are also willing for that stability to be bought at a price. Um, they had the same reaction to the uh, Saudi-Iranian rapprochement under uh, Chinese auspices yes they have uh, blessed the stability that this uh, will bring even though they didn't like the Chinese um, uh, auspices now this is the stability that you usually see at cemeteries if you look at Syria of course if you uh, if you want to get stability and and uh, uh, the uh, peace and quiet of cemetery Assad is your best bet
1: Indeed. Well, uh, just to interject about what uh, Dr. Rayburn uh, noted earlier, I agree that Europeans are indeed backing the United States in the Caesar Act against uh, the Assad regime, but I don't see any of them acting against any of the Gulf nations uh, bringing the Assad regime back into the fold at this stage. Uh, And uh, I did... Uh, used two words in my statement saying holds sway over the Middle East, uh, which is uh, the emphasis the United States still holds sway over the Middle East while the European partners, except for some economic uh, investments uh, in the region, are not as heavily invested and uh, capable of shifting uh, or moving the sands over uh, when we're talking about uh, Middle Eastern policy. Uh, General Kim, I'd I'd like to hear your perspective on this since – To what degree uh, do you see uh, the interests of uh, the the Sunni camp, if you will, the GCC or the Gulf uh, Cooperation Council, actually align itself With uh, bringing the Assad regime into the fold, considering the close relations Assad has both with the Islamic Republic of Iran and regardless of any rapprochement between Saudi Arabia and Iran, there is no any love lost in that relationship, uh, nor is there any, you know, uh, keen interest on further bolstering uh, relations beyond uh, the, the current capacities with Moscow. Yeah,
3: I, I think that uh, it is a remarkable event. This is the man that 10 years ago called the Arab leaders half-men. There is no love loss uh, between, uh, as you would say, the Sunni camp and Bashar al-Assad. And so I think you've really got to consider the motivations in the first place, why they're reaching out and what's this done at their urging or the urging of China. It may simply be a realization by the Gulf Bloc that uh, or as the old saying goes, keep your enemy close, uh, keep your friends close, but keep your enemies closer. Uh, it 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 simply may be a matter that the Gulf countries believe that these issues that Joel brought out, which is over forty years of Iranian support uh, for Hezbollah, uh, forty years of support for uh, the uh, Damascus regime. Uh, has got to come to an end, and it perhaps may be that they believe the best way is by grabbing Assad and bringing him closer. But I agree with Joel as well that this has been tried before. But I also think it's important to note that uh, America had full relations with Syria before the civil war started at a time where we had a great concern with Iranian influence inside of Syria. So this is nothing new. Uh, The United States has dealt with Syria when it was getting 30 billion a year from Tehran before the civil war. Uh, That's when Syria also enjoyed full diplomatic relations with their Gulf partners. So it may just simply be that everybody is saying the civil war has been horrible. uh, It has been terrible on the people of Syria, uh, but it is a fact that uh, sanctions have not worked. putting him outside of the GCC has not worked. Uh, We're starting to make rapprochement with Iran, so we might as well do it with Assad as well. There is, in fact, what I would consider diplomatic fatigue on this issue that has gone on for too long, and maybe it's the time to resolve that diplomatic fatigue.
1: Were sanctions ineffective, or were they not properly... um enforced for that matter dr rayburn
0: well i mean in my experience they they weren't enforced Uh, we only you know our maximum pressure uh window if you will lasted only six months under the caesar act we implemented the caesar act in june 2020 and the last major tranche of sanctions that we did uh, under those authorities was december 2020 and then the new administration came in the following month and halted uh the, the all the the sanctions process while they did what they call the policy review. So so no, I, I, I think economic pressure just wasn't tried. The isolation uh policy just wasn't that sustained, unfortunately. Um I wish it had been otherwise. And it's there's still an opportunity to go back to that at any time. You can flip the switch and and go back into sanctions enforcement. It's not rocket science. But I mean General Kim, it's one hundred percent right. Uh, about the motivations of the Arab capitals right now. I think if, the, the normalization outreach to Assad is a byproduct of the Beijing deal. Uh, I suspect it's a quid pro quo uh, that the Saudis uh, uh, the Saudis committed to in exchange for the Chinese, guaranteeing Iranian uh, influence to, to get the Houthis uh, to go back into the ceasefire process in, in Yemen. Um, and in that regard, I, we'll have to wait and see. I, I don't think I suspect the Saudis are not that deeply committed to this policy. And uh, at such time when the whole thing uh, uh, it collapses, uh, because Hezbollah is is not going to be restrained, the IRGC is not going to be restrained, and frankly, I don't think the Houthis are going to be restrained in Yemen either. Then I think I think this approach will collapse of its own weight. It's just it will have been it, there will have been an opportunity cost uh, because we could have been working on a coherent policy. Uh, in the meantime, although I, I have to concede, I understand the frustration of the Arab capitals because th- they're doing what they're doing. And, th- and they're going back to an experiment that failed multiple times before, uh, because, fr- frankly, they got frustrated with the lack of U.S. leadership on on the issue, which which spans several presidential administrations. The Biden administration is guilty, but they're not the only ones. And uh, so I, I understand the frustration. I just think it's unfortunate uh, that we're. That the Arabs, the Arab capitals now are veering off into down a side street that's going to lead into the same cul-de-sac that they went down after the Rafik Hariri uh, assassination, when isolation against Assad and opprobrium against Assad, you know, began to crumble, and then there was the embrace at the Annapolis conference, and then with King Abdullah of Saudi Arabia, uh, which which all wound up crashing and burning. And i uh, and I, I predict that there will be no difference this time.
1: General Kimmett, uh, just a couple of weeks ago when uh, the Middle East uh, Institute hosted uh, the uh, U.S. Undersecretary for Policy and Strategy, uh, Dr. Kalin, uh, you asked her about uh, particularly uh, the investment or the uh, um, fact that while DOD, the Defense Department, is very much uh, involved in the Middle East, you don't see as much uh, interagency involvement, including from State Department and other angles of uh, U.S. government. uh, Is this an indication that uh, the United States is not truly interested in getting involved in the Middle East? Well, it's been
3: a long-standing problem, and Joel has served uh, in the region, I've served in the region, uh, and we see the capabilities that the Department of Defense brings to diplomacy in that region. Uh, The mill to mill relationships with the the country is very strong. The ability to do persistent engagement with the military is very, very strong. Uh, But unfortunately, when you have that as your effective policy, that the Middle East policy will be run by the Pentagon, when the Pentagon then says, we're pivoting to Asia, uh, that's a very, very distinct message that is being sent to the Middle East, that uh, and what I was suggesting in that question is if we could have diplomacy take the lead in that region the way that President Biden said our national security would be led by the diplomats, uh, we might have a better outcome as the military transitions from the Gulf uh, to uh, the Far East, something that I don't think we're doing, but that is certainly the perception among all the capitals. Uh, One point I would make as a sidebar, we we talk about the policies that haven't worked very well. Uh, The United States has had some pretty interesting policies with Syria over the years. Uh, I'm old enough to remember when we fought side by side with Syrian troops attacking Saddam Hussein in the first Gulf War. So we have demonstrated quite a bit of flexibility that we were actually in combat together with Syrian troops at one time. And then we were having Obama threatening uh, bombing strikes into Syria another time. Now, certainly different, uh, certainly different people in charge between Hafez al-Assad and Bashar al-Assad. Bashar is an apple that fell too far from the tree, but Syria is Syria, and the policies, their policies, have been consistent for the past since the since the Iranian Revolution. Uh, It just seems that. American and Western policies have changed significantly, and now we're seeing the Gulf policies change as well.
1: Well, of course, I noted in my introduction to today's program that the Assad regime has pretty much forgot, uh, uh, forfeited his own sovereignty uh, by allowing Russia and Iran to enter into his theater and, and basically uh, take the leading role uh, in uh Dictating basically Damascus's uh, foreign policy, at least uh, from Moscow's perspective, uh, which changes, of course, the whole perspective of US policy, especially also during the Obama administration, leading from behind. I don't think that is necessarily the way you want to go about things here in the region, uh, but that's uh, for a different uh, program altogether. Uh, the executive branch, yes, sir.
3: Yeah, Jonathan, I just asked a question. How, in fact, do you believe that the Syrian policy has changed over the last 30 years?
1: Uh, it's pretty much has been forced into changing its uh, policies. Maybe its policies have not changed, but uh, the fact of the matter is that Moscow and Tehran have their own interests at heart, uh, while Damascus, uh, even though it, it does seem to have its own keen policy for specifics, uh, it does owe uh, a gratitude of debt, uh, and not just gratitude uh, in that debt, uh, to both the Ayatollah regime and the Kremlin in this matter. And therefore... Go ahead.
2: May I uh, humbly interject uh, with a wild theory? Americans love lines on the map, perhaps starting with the Mason-Dixon line. The 38th parallel in Korea, the 17th uh, in Vietnam. And right now, what you have in Syria is uh, west of Euphrates or the valley and east of the river. East of the river is the main priority of CENTCOM um, in, in Syria. Of course, Syria itself is only second priority to the Gulf or to the uh, sea lines of communications. West of the Euphrates is a Russian domain. There is a deconflicting mechanism. But nevertheless, it is obvious that the Russians, because they want the naval bases and their uh, air force base at Khamemim, and they want to uh, guard the Assad regime, they have been given almost a free hand to do what they want between the Mediterranean and the river, while the US concentrates on the other side. Is that a simplistic approach, Mark? Well, I I would sort of look at it. First of all, I agree
3: with you, but the point that I would make is that the introduction of China into uh, the situation, along with Russia, I don't think are necessarily situations that have caused Assad to change his policies. In fact, one of the reasons they're in there is because they're able to amplify Assad's policies. They've been able to keep him in power, and they've been able to allow him to continue his policy of fighting the civil war, allowing the IRGC to maintain a presence inside there and uh, maintaining Iranian influence. So. Uh, our prop, our, it must be considered that uh, what the West has on offer uh, is completely different from what China and Russia have on offer and now what the Gulf states have on offer. All of these allow uh, Assad to stay in power when the West is trying to change his regime and hence change him from being in power.
1: Dr. Rayburn, uh, I'd like to hear your position on this as well. And of course, uh, if uh, you may also highlight uh, the fact that while the Biden administration is lagging behind and is not necessarily uh, very successful, Uh, in its current relations with the GCC, with the Gulf uh, countries, and Saudi Arabia in particular, uh, it seems that Congress is taking the beat on here and and is trying to uh, make uh, a change uh, with regard to U.S. foreign policy, uh, particularly for uh, the Middle East.
0: Well, I think it's not that Congress is trying to uh, dictate a change uh, in in policy. Congress is doubling down on its own uh, preferred Syria approach, which is the, the the pressure approach that was encapsulated in the Caesar Act uh, that was signed into law in 2019. Uh, I think there, there's been frustration in Congress over the uh, the lack of enforcement of the Caesar Act, and then there's been the the normalization moves that that really accelerated after the February earthquake. I think prompted. Uh, the, the recent congressional action, which is to essentially do uh, the anti-normalization bill uh, that the House Foreign Affairs Committee has passed um, is, is essentially uh, like a Caesar 2.0. It, it doubles down on the sanctions. It, it extends them, uh, closes some loopholes, um, extends scrutiny to the diversion of international aid in, into the Assad regime, and if it passes Congress if it passes the Senate as well it'll pass the house but easily but if it passes the Senate as well it will obviate any economic normalization uh, between the Gulf and the Assad regime and then uh, there will be a strategic stalemate and then and then we'll have to see what happens It look, looks to me like Assad and his patrons at that stage they're kind of out of juice um, and, uh, and 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 uh, we will have to hunker down uh uh, for a, a frozen conflict and, and for uh, other
3: alternatives that, uh, resolving it.
1: General Kimmett, you have roughly one minute uh, to respond.
3: Well, I, I simply think that the Biden administration needs to consider whether they're going to sign that document or not. Look, uh, the issue with Syria is always considered in the light of the Iranian negotiations, uh, nuclear negotiations. This will not help if the president signs this. This will not help with our relationship with our Arab allies when they're trying to reach out and we're trying to pull back. So I think there's an issue here between congressional intent and foreign policy intent to the president. So it will be interesting to see what happens if that bill passes Congress, will the president sign it? Dr. Rayburn? Well, I don't think any U.S.
0: president is gonna veto a sanctions bill against Bashar al-Assad. But, uh, I mean, General Kim, it's right. Uh, the, the Congress, this vector from Congress, uh, will collide uh, with, the, with the Biden administration's uh, quiet preference to, uh, to reconstruct the JCPOA with the Iranian regime. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see how it goes.
2: The two, right. the two mainstays of the Assad regime are obviously the Russians and the Iranians. But they may have uh, divergent views on whether to let Hezbollah Escalate its tensions vis-a-vis Israel the russians will be against it the iranians. We don't know yet So this is uh, one area to focus on um, In the next uh, few months.
1: Well, I've been fascinated during this discussion Of course, there's much more to talk about but unfortunately, we're out of time. I'd like to thank general mark Kimmett Dr. uh, Joel Rayburn and Mr. Oren for being part of today's panel as well and I'd like to thank all of you at home as well until next time Shalom from us here in Jerusalem
0: Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem studio podcast for more content on Israel and its region we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media